Well, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Home Builders class. Hope you're doing well. Um, I'm really excited to share this verse because it's one of my favorite verses in the whole uh, Bible, but I like the way it reads in the NIV. How many of you have a favorite version? You read different ones, but you have a favorite Bible version. I love the NIV. And the NIV says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I love that. Uh, but Pastor Jonathan's using CSV right now, so that's what we're going to quote. Uh, let's read 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know all right. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, I think we're going to do hamburgers and hot dogs. Just a typical uh, summer kind of thing. Uh, these hot dogs, they will throw in some hamburgers, too. And um, Yeah, if someone can bring the s'mores, and I think Will's going to work all that out. Just bring something that goes along with a, a cookout. And if you have, uh, we're going to play... Uh, um, yeah, cornhole. Or anything. We've got a bocce set. They need to get into bocce. We can play that. Whatever you want to do. Alright. We started this lesson last week. And uh, typically, if they don't get through it, um, we'll keep going. What we're talking about here today is how Jesus is our role model. Okay? Obviously, we know that to be a fact, but how do you actually apply that to your own personal life? That Christ, as you go through his word, will use that word to teach you how to live the Christian life. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God. And man, disciples of Christ must live their lives like Jesus. And so we're not going to go through some of the question part of it uh, as detailed as like we did last week. But 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now that's an important statement to make. In other words, whether you're the youngest person in this room or the oldest person in this room. The idea isn't, I, I have a right to live my life the way I want to live. That is foreign for the follower of Jesus. It's not like I have my rights. No. We give those rights up when we become a follower of Jesus because we are, we're taking up our cross and following him. We're dying to self. Again, 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're not talking about sinlessness. But our passion and our desire is to always follow after God. And we looked at how Jesus lived his life. So real quick, just... Some quick statements. How did Jesus live his life? Sinless. Sinless. Servant. Servant. Day to day. Day to day. It was moment by moment. Yeah. What? Transparent. Transparent. Uh, obedient. Obedient. See, these are ideas that we can go, how did Jesus live his life? And this is how you think through scripture. Okay, when you read a scripture like 1 John 2, 6, Again, here's when you do your devotions, it's not about getting some ritual accomplished. It's okay to focus your attention on a verse of scripture 
and meditate on that scripture. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And the, the reason I write this lesson like this is so that you keep it, uh, you take it home with you as so you think through this. So how did Jesus live his life? And then we go to, okay, how do I do that? Okay, how do I walk like Jesus today? We, we follow that. We, we, we live in obedience and we live in sacrifice for others. And, and we actually care. Now, we're not God. We don't necessarily, have, we don't have the ability to raise the dead. If I did, it would be awesome. But what's the problem with me being able to do that? The attention on you. Exactly. If I walked into, and I would love this, if I walked into Lynchburg General Hospital, Virginia Baptist Hospital, and I walked door to door, you are healed. They're on dialysis, you are healed. And everything is fine. The nurses would be like, that's great, but I just lost my job. <laughs> Not that, would they care? No. They'd be grateful. But CNN and, and Fox News and everybody would be like, look at Lou or look at you if you had that ability. Jesus would, you know, it's like I can point them to Jesus, but they're going to be talking about me or talking about you. Disciples of Christ must be dependent upon the Father and Holy Spirit. He was not self-absorbed, but did his father's will. Okay? He did not understand, they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the sun, what does that mean? When you've lifted up the sun, are they, are they praising Jesus? No. What, what, what are they doing here? Crucifying him. Then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what my father has taught me. Remember, remember what the centurion who at the cross when Jesus died, what did he say? Pardon? Surely this man was the son of God. They recognized it instantly, right? I'm just King James and the King James, whatever. He successfully resisted temptation and was led and walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw this, obviously, his temptation. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness after his baptism to be tempted by Satan himself. God did that. If I want to live like Jesus did, I must walk like him. There will be times when you are put to the test by the Spirit itself. The question, here's the issue. You have freedom to choose. What will you choose? What will you choose? There are times in our life that we will go through things from Satan's point of view, from God's point of view, to, to better us, to help us. Don't we do that even in wisdom with our own children? Don't we do that with family? When you're, we go through challenging things at times to teach us lessons, to strengthen us. It's not because we don't love each other. 
We do things at times because we know it's better for them. Okay? It's not that you're opposed to your spouse. Right? Can you go camping? <laughs> Some of you feel like that. But there is something that happens in an individual's life when they have friends and family that, oops, sorry. There you go, sorry. When friends and family go through challenges. Can anyone in here name something, just real brief, that said, we experienced this and it brought us closer together as a family? Yeah. My mom's cancer and, and now the clear cancer. Absolutely. The challenge of cancer. Substance abuse in the family and having to deal with it. The challenge that brings you together as you pray and you work together for that. Absolutely. Yeah, a child with medical and special needs. It can tear you apart, but it's your choice. It can also bring you closer together. Chuck. Our marriage after James got the stronger than That was a challenge, though. Yeah. Heart-wrenching challenge. But God used that, and you made a choice to come stronger together. Yeah. And that's the beauty of God's choice in your life. God gives you the freedom to choose. How are you going to respond to this challenge? And God wants us to choose good and not evil. He was led by the Spirit into the Jordan, after he left Jordan, into the wilderness. And we can walk and follow our Heavenly Father and walk in His Spirit as we live our lives and we confess our sin and we stay in God's Word and our focus is on being more like Jesus today than it was yesterday. God wants to use every one of us in this room. You can be used by God. And he desires that. But he never forces his will on you. We are not puppets on a string. We have freedom. And God desires that we do his will. Just like the admonition of the Old Testament. Choose you this day who you will serve. He knew his mission. And obviously I'm not going to take the time to read this. But that the passage when his parents for three days left him in Jerusalem. And they were trying to find him. They didn't realize he was even missing after, until one day. And then two days in the city looking for him. And when they finally find him in the temple and he's talking and, and asking questions, he's, he's listening to them and he says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding of his answers. He's 12. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father, I've been anxiously searching for you. And he says, why are you searching for me? That's a great question. Mom, don't you know who I am? 
But if you remember later in his life, his mother and his brothers, his dad probably has already passed away. There's no record of him later. They literally, when Jesus is in there having a discussion, they think he's crazy. He's claiming to be God. You think Mary would have had a better understanding of this? I would hope so. But you know what? Satan attacks her just like he attacks us. Sometimes you just, over time, you've got to go, is he really the son of God and God the son? I know this is miraculous, but really? And he says, you know what? He leaves and goes with them to Nazareth and was obedient to them. He was obedient. He was God. And yet he put himself under the obedience of his parents. I will follow my parents' will. Even though he understood, I'm supposed to be there. Don't you know I need to be about in my father's house? He put himself under their authority. And you know what? I think in many ways that is why God, he grew in stature with God, in favor of God and man. I think God recognizes your own obedience. Some of you young people in here, you're going, I don't know if I want to obey my parents all the time. I get that. I don't want to obey mine either. Man looks on the outward, but God knows your heart. And when you obey, even when you're not sure they're right, God blesses that. I'm convinced of it. Because God knows your heart. He wanted to learn to teach the truth about God and his word. Where did his parents find Jesus? In the temple. What was he doing? He's teaching and he's asking them questions. And I asked him, why is asking questions such a powerful apologetic approach? We answered this last week, and I thought you answered it so well. So anybody, real quick, remember what was said? Mike, you'll remember. Why is asking questions such a great apologetic approach? Because you gotta know where the other person that you're talking with is starting from, so that you can address whatever it is that they're Excellent. Here's something that I think all of us need to remember. Don't ever assume. Okay? Someone says, I am blank. I'm a humanist. I'm an atheist. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Baptist. I'm a whatever. Don't assume at that point that you know what they believe. You have no clue what they believe. You don't even have an understanding, really, of who they are until you get to know them individually. And you can do that one way by asking questions. By being in a relationship, by being friends, by developing those things, doing things in life outside of work or your neighborhood. Inviting them to an event and just getting to know them. You immediately find out what they really believe and what they think. And over time, they'll even tell you. You know, well, I was raised Muslim, but... I was raised this way, but I was a Christian, but, and you'll be able to find out where their heart is because you know what? There's a lot of people in America, around the world, it's all different, but in America who were raised 
in the church, raised as a Christian, and have walked away from God for whatever reason, and there's a lot of them. And it's not that they hate God. It may be that they just don't like Christians because of what Christians have done. And so what, and what you're doing is you're the light and you're salt and you're beginning to show them that's not the Christianity of the Bible. That's not Jesus. That was your experience. And it also is a reminder to every one of us how we live our life makes a difference. The choices we make make a difference. How we respond to a colleague at work in a secular environment makes a difference. How we live outside of the church that's seen by others makes a difference. The reality is there. Do we know our mission, our purpose? He gained wisdom and favor with God and man. If Jesus was God, how did he grow in wisdom? We asked that last week. How did, we, how did he grow? Trials. Through trials? The Bible says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. So he didn't evidently know absolutely everything from the moment he was born. He had yeah. to learn. He had to learn he, because he became human. And human, as a human, he, he willingly limited himself. Why did he begin his ministry at 12? Because ultimately God had a plan, and it was ready even at the time when he did the first miracle. Okay? It, 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 in a respectful way, woman, it's not my time. No, I need this done. And if you've watched The Chosen, that's a very interesting view of that whole scenario and how it all played out. How do we lead our children and grandchildren to grow in the Lord? He's 12. Again, where was he? He was in the temple. He knew he needed to be in the temple. Let me just admonish all of us. It's so easy to find something else to do. I encourage you, whether it's here or somewhere, be active in the body. Be active in church. Be active uh, with your children and get them involved because the world is gonna attack constantly. And it's the renewing of our mind, as, even as adults, that we have to be constantly reminded of this, right? And we struggle too. And as you stay in God's word and you stay in church, you stay in fellowship, we, we teach that by the way we live our life and practice it. How did Jesus grow in favor with God and man? And how do we follow his example in these areas? We follow it. And Jesus grew by his obedience, as you said. By your obedience. And he led that a sense of obedience all the way to the cross. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Can I say that? 
Lord, regardless of what you're calling me to experience, not your will, but mine be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Reverse that. Okay? But we do the will of the Father. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he use to fight against Satan? The word of God. The word of God. How can he do that unless he knew it? That's why you're going to hear it, and it almost becomes, oh, really, again? Read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. At least that's what the kids say, right? I think the idea is, is the idea of what, we're not talking about shrink, shrinking, obviously, in our posture and our stand. Spiritually, we're not going to have the strength to go on. He was a disciple maker. Jesus called people to be fishers of men. He used that analogy because that's what they knew. They understood it. If you see, saw my picture on Facebook this week that Luke's posted after I'd fallen in the river. We were, we were fishing the James River together. Had a great time. And, oh, yeah. It did scare him away. In fact, afterwards, he goes, you know, because I lost my hat. I lost my sunglasses when I fell in. It was only about 18 inches of water in that. But the rocks are real slippery out there and all that kind of stuff. I had a glass. I said, he says, you want to leave? I said, no. I cast. And then I, you know, caught another one. I said, you think I want to leave? We're catching fish. We had a blast. You know? You understand it. They understood the analogy and the picture and the beauty of fishing. And now God is calling us to be fishers of men. In fact, but for me, that's very special because when I was 16 years old in the Beachwood United Methodist Church, it was Youth Sunday, and they said, Lou, you get to preach. And my first sermon was on that principle of Matthew 4.19. Now, my scoutmaster came up to me afterwards and said, Boy Scout, you know, I was in Boy Scouts as well. And he, he said, you know, that was only a 12-minute sermon. I said, I said, yeah, that's all I had. <laughs> Some of you are wishing that was the case for me these days. <laughs> but he understood, you know, this is, you know, this is so, the principle that's, that focuses every, our attention to everything else, of this one thing as a follower of Christ, to be a fisher of men. Human beings, creating the image of God, and has been said multiple times in this church, and will continue to be said, the world will not change my politics, politicians, but by the transformation of a soul being saved. That is what will make all the difference. When a person has the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them, then and only then will they truly be transformed. Before then, it just doesn't make sense. They just don't get it. But when they 
understand and hear the gospel and are transformed, it makes all the difference. What is a disciple? Is one who follows the teachings of another. How did Jesus do this? How, how did he teach us this? Matthew 28, 19 20. Someone read that for me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end, of, to the very end of the age. So the plan is this. If you're going to make disciples of all nations, okay, we lead them to Christ. We make them a disciple. We then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. In other words, the role of Sunday school isn't just for fellowship. Isn't just for good food. Isn't just for social activities and all kinds of activities. But it is for all of us, me first, to learn how to obey everything Jesus commanded. That's where it's at. Learning to obey Jesus. So that's what I, I, I that's the purpose of me being here. And what we've been doing for so many years now is we, we constantly are trying to remind ourselves we need to obey Jesus. You're not obeying me. You're not obeying Pastor Jonathan. You're not obeying each other. We're learning how to obey God. And God's not going to leave you alone. Surely I will be with you all the way to the end of the age. God's going to be with you. He obeyed his father and sent them into the world. John 20, 21. Someone read that for me. What was Jesus asking them and us to do? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now, here's the question, though, okay? Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Was that only for the disciples of Jesus at this time? No. So the question then is where is Jesus sending you? Pardon? To the Jew and the Gentile. To the world. Jesus is sending you. Who's your you that you're going to be sent to? He's sending you So where is that? Do you know your neighbor? Does your neighbor know Jesus? Your coworker? Your schoolmate? Your, your family member? Your friend? I, Jesus said, am sending you. You. He showed up to meet needs. How did Jesus live the responsible life? He met needs. He healed people of their diseases. Matthew 8, 1-3 says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowd followed him. 
A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of leprosy. Luke 7, 11 to 16, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nani. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, Don't cry. Now, I'm going to stop here for just a second. Did this widow see Jesus? Did she call out to Jesus and say, Heal my son? Raise him from the dead. Then he went up and touched the beer. Buyer. What's the correct pronunciation of that? Okay. They were carrying on, and the bears stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Now, I don't know about you. If I was carrying him, and he said, get up. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. The dead man sat up and began to talk. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. What was the significance of these two miracles? First, leprosy was a condition that kept a person from making a living and living with others. What was required of a leper? Somebody, yeah. Yeah, they, they would have to call out that they were a leper. Yeah, he had to announce himself. What else? Could he live with his family in his home? Or she? No. They were separated from community. It was devastating. A widow would rely on the income of her sons. She was dependent on him. And now her son is dead. And she's got nobody. Man. Jesus changed two people's lives completely. One of them didn't even know he was around. And let me just say this. There's a lot of people in our own community that don't know Jesus is around. And the difference that you or I can make in someone's life can be transformative. Why? Why would you help me? Because God loves you. So do I. And that's transformative. We can't go to the coffin and say, raise, get up, and walk. We can't say, 
you are healed. At least, that's a very rare occurrence. And obviously, it's the power of God when it does occur. Healing still occurs. Amen? Yes. And Wes Betcher was around here earlier. Let me tell you something. That man was raised from the dead. Anybody who knows Wes's story knows that man was raised from the dead. When the doctors are called in to go, hey, look, check out this dude. He was flatlined for, I forget how many minutes. It was 20-some minutes. After, after six minutes, it's kind of like, oh, forget this. He was flatlined for that long. And they said, he's going to be a big, when he did come out, he's going to be a vegetable. I don't believe he's a vegetable because, I mean, unless you're a veggie tail. <laughs> I don't like that term because we're humans, not vegetables. Okay, but I understand their point. And here he is, weeks later, driving a car. Now that's a prayer request in and of itself. <laughs> but nevertheless, right? How has and will Jesus show up to meet our needs? Any quick testimony? Yeah. He cured ten pancreatic cancer. July fifth. Praise the Lord. Miracles. Daryl's not here, but he's a walking miracle, and so are you. Yeah. I was talking to Cheryl Morgan. Some of you know who she is before our class today. And she was on top of the top of Peaks of Honor. Has a heart attack. That's not the place I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> and literally, it was two hours later, she had already had her procedure. That's how fast they got her down the mountain into the hospital, and she was taken care of. 50 years ago, she wouldn't be alive today. God does amazing things in and through people. How do we follow that example in how we meet others' needs? That's a personal decision. What, are, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? And you can't do everything. No guilt trip here, folks. Don't ever take a guilt trip out of this classroom. Jesus doesn't put a guilt trip on you either. The question
question is, what has God called you to do? What's he called you to do? Find your place and do it to his glory. He went to the cross, died, rose again, and is interceding for us. We are also to die to ourselves and live for others. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Someone read that for me. Who will bring any charge against those whom the Lord has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's such an amazing passage of scripture. Jesus is praying for you. He goes, there's eight billion, billions of people. How many Christians are in the world? There's three billion plus Christians in the world. God praying for all of us. He's God. He's not limited like me. Okay? We are also to die to ourselves and live for others. How do we do that? How do we die to ourselves? It's a choice. I choose death. And when I feel like doing the wrong thing, and yes, I, Lou Wider, fully admit to you, I at times want to do the wrong thing. Things. I sometimes, or rarely, I want to sin. And so do you. But we can choose not to. That's the key. We choose not to. We die to ourselves, and then we live for others. We live for others. When we see a need, we meet it when we can. If you can't, no guilt. You do what you can for the Lord. Just do what you can. And you know what? If we all did that, this world would be an amazing place. And there'd be a whole lot more peace in our family. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to die to yourself, to take up your cross, and to die for us. Lord, now may we follow your example in each and every day, die to ourselves, so that we may ultimately obey you and your word and bless others. May we be light and salt as we leave this place and, and keep us safe. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this class and everyone who serves so diligently. And I pray you'd bring us back together safely again next week. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week.